Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are into our sixth week of a series walking through the gospel according to Mark. We are looking at one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as told by Mark, the gospel writer. In our sixth week, we are now only two weeks away from the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so as we move to the later stage of Jesus' ministry, we move from discovering the character of Jesus as king of heaven and earth, suffering servant king, come to lay his life down. We now see him at the end of his earthly ministry, preparing his disciples, working on his disciples to understand what is now expected of them. In this 10th chapter, and we're going to look at the final two stories of Mark chapter 10, we see Mark ending this chapter with two stories that work together in parallel. They work together by contrasting one another. The first story is a story of two of Jesus' closest disciples, James and John, coming to Jesus and asking for glory and honor in Jesus' coming kingdom. And then the last story is a story of a man named Blind Bartimaeus, or probably just Bartimaeus, who is blind, asking Jesus for mercy and providing a healing. And we're going to look at how Jesus contrasts these two stories because they have a lot of similarities. First off, Jesus is confronted with a request in both stories. John and James ask for glory and honor. Bartimaeus asks for a healing. And so he's confronted with a request and a need. Secondly, he responds to both requests with his own question. And the same question, actually, he asks, what do you want me to do for you? Both stories. To James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And then third, both parties clearly understand that Jesus is King Jesus, Messiah, with authority and power. They both come to him in light of that. And so both parties know who Jesus is. Both parties are asking Jesus for something. And Jesus responds to both of them with a character-revealing question. What do you want from me? Then there's a fourth similarity that's more subtle. There's an idea of blindness that runs through both stories. Because I'll argue all three members asking Jesus, James, John, and Bartimaeus, are all blind. Bartimaeus is physically blind, which is obvious from the story, but James and John are spiritually blinded from what Jesus is planning to do in their life and what he's come to do on this earth. Bartimaeus, I believe, correctly spiritually understands his role in relation to Jesus. Now, Jesus responds, what do you want from me? And this is how they respond. John and James say they want glory. Bartimaeus says he wants mercy. John and James believe they deserve honor and glory. And Jesus responds with a no. Bartimaeus believes that he deserves nothing. And Jesus responds with a yes. John and James are nicknamed the sons of thunder, powerful and glorious name. Bartimaeus' name literally means son of uncleanliness. This is the juxtaposition of the two stories. Now let's read from the end of Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to read a longer portion of scripture here than I typically have in this series, Walking Through the Gospel According to Mark. So just bear with me. We're going to read a lot of verses. But as we do, let's get context. We are into chapter 10 and there's 16 chapters in Mark. We've already seen the pivot where Jesus is beginning to reveal that he is the king come to die and resurrect. Now in chapter 10, Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. And once he enters Jerusalem, things move 
fast and heavy. He goes into Jerusalem, they honor him, then he's brought before Sanhedrin, he's brought to the cross, a Roman cross, he dies and is resurrected. This is right at the precipice of that moment. His ministry is ending, and what we see is him increasingly trying to teach his disciples what their life is going to be like after his death and resurrection. And so we see this in context. The questions asked are in this context. Now let's read. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over to speak with him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And now if this was me, I'd be getting a little nervous and I might be like, maybe not. But they reply, oh yes, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. I mean, they pulled Jesus aside in secret to prioritize them over everybody else in the discipleship group and his 12 disciples. So obviously they're pretty mad about this. So Jesus calls them all together and he says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can see in this story, James and John asking Jesus for glory and honor. If you're reading Mark in one sitting, you see from chapter 8 to this point, so three chapters now, a pattern of Jesus saying, in my kingdom, the most powerful ones are the ones that serve others and lay their lives down for others. And so we see this is a hard-to-receive lesson for the disciples, that they're still asking this question. Jesus has already talked about picking up your cross. He's already said, the last shall be first, and they're still not getting it. We then follow into another story that, by this story, we understand the other. Mark chapter 10 in verse 46. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come to me. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. But what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. This is famous for, obviously, he's blind. Why would Jesus be asking this? He replies, My rabbi, the blind man said, my teacher, 
I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Fantastic story with blind Bartimaeus. I mean, obviously there's something significant because they name him. A lot of other people Jesus heals or performs miracles don't have names. But also in this, he's healed without Jesus touching him. He's healed from a distance. He declares Jesus as rabbi and teacher. He uses the term son of David, which as we've discussed throughout this series, Jesus' title that he prefers is son of man, a reference from Daniel chapter 7, instead of Messiah or Savior. And so this man, Bartimaeus, is the closest to this term. Son of David is much more similar. And so he's recognizing this idea of Jesus. But then we see from Bartimaeus a humility. He asks for mercy instead of honor. He asks for mercy instead of power. And so even in his being healed, he sees this not as a right or not as something declarative, but he sees it as an act of mercy, something he doesn't deserve, but he hopes in merciful Jesus he would give to him. And so the first step we see in a growing intimacy with Jesus is recognizing how far from the character of Jesus we are. Bartimaeus comes humbly. I don't deserve this. I'm nothing like you, Rabbi Jesus. I don't deserve to be in your presence, but I'm humbly bringing myself before you. And now we see it contrasted against the story of James and John, who come to Jesus with pride and with expectation that they deserve to be at the right and left hand of Jesus. And this is why John and James get a lecture on suffering and Bartimaeus receives healing. This is a running theme in the gospel stories of Jesus' life. Those who recognize their need and are humble in coming to Jesus receive power, healing, and wisdom. Those who come to Jesus with an understanding of entitlement and their own pride and power Leave Jesus humbled. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says it like this for all of us. This is Paul writing to a church he had never been to, but he writes to them strongly about how much we don't deserve Jesus' love and then how powerful that makes it. Paul writes, For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We say this and this is a famous verse. But it's a difficult idea, a difficult truth to live out. And we may say it when we first come to Christ and we're aware of the sins of our youth and the sins that we brought into this. But over time, as we follow Jesus, there is the danger of of incrementally growing in our own deserving, in our own earning of this. The disciples thought, and in some ways correctly, we've given up careers, we've given up homes, we've given up our family. We're putting our life at danger, Jesus, in order to serve you. And surely that deserves some reward. We followed Jesus before the miracles. We followed you before there was evidence to trust you, before there were demonstrations of your power. We followed you from the very beginning. And surely, Jesus, that is worth something. Even for us today, there's a temptation of our own entitlement in the church, our own entitlement in following Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit in me. My prayers have authority. I will receive a crown 
in heaven. And while all of this is true, when it becomes an entitlement that we deserve rather than an act of grace and mercy, we miss the character of Jesus and the call of our hearts. In John chapter 9, different story of Jesus' life, verses 39, John clearly lays out this idea but in Jesus' own words. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying that we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim that you see. We follow Jesus and we read these gospel accounts and we read the scriptures and we pray and we sit in Jesus' presence and we discuss him together as a church. But I do never want to get to the point where I say that I've totally figured Jesus out. I've completely mastered my theology of who God is and how he works. I always want to sit in a mystery. I always want to sit in a moment of grace and mercy and wonder at who Jesus is. There is much we know of Jesus through scriptures and through the tradition of the church, but there is still so much of Jesus we don't know. And there is so much of his character and his goodness that we have yet to see. And as we come before Jesus, may we never become entitled with his presence and his power. Every move of the power of God in our lives is an act of grace. Every move of healing and wisdom is an act of of grace. And may we never become too accustomed to God responding to our needs. And may we always enter in in an act of worship and gratitude that the creator of the universe, that King Jesus, the suffering servant, chooses to love and live with us. The character of Jesus is a heavenly king who gives up his power and security and humbles himself to live among his created people to then suffer at their hands and die in their place. Jesus associates himself with those who have little and those who recognize that compared with Jesus, we all have spiritually little. It's not just the poor and the blind. Nicodemus, someone with a lot, When he comes to Jesus, humbles himself and goes, I don't understand and I need your grace in order to guide me forward. It's not just the poor and blind that Jesus comes to, but it's those who can recognize their own spiritual poverty in this world. The minute we believe that we have God figured out is the moment that we've lost sight of who he is. The minute we believe that we are pretty good The moment we begin to see our gifts as deserved, we are spiritually blind. The gift is, and the simplicity of this passage is, and the reason we look at Bartimaeus is, the gift we have is that when we recognize our blindness, he responds in mercy. And this is the heart of the Christian faith, confession and repentance before a righteous God. The moment we get on our knees and the moment we recognize and pound our chest and say we are a broken sinner in need of a merciful Savior in Jesus, he responds with healing. But the truth is we're so blind that we often hardly see it. And it's so easy to look at everything else other than the condition of our heart. 
This passage is the third of three rotations we're teaching here in Mark. Three rotations of Jesus teaching about his suffering, impending death, and resurrection. Three times Jesus says in just three chapters, I am going to suffer and die and be resurrected. And then he teaches what that means about being humbled by that and suffering for the sake of others. And all three times, the disciples seem to fail to understand it. Mark 9 and Mark 10 are parallels of Jesus teaching about suffering and death and followed by the disciples arguing about who should receive glory. It is a lesson from Scripture that we see even those closest to Jesus are still frail human beings who struggle with their own pride and insecurity. The disciples themselves arguing about who is best. The followers of Moses in Exodus arguing about wanting to be slaves again rather than live free as God's people. We can be with God for years or decades or generations and still fail to see the darkness and brokenness of our heart. Three times they don't get it and they're with Jesus for three years. And in the midst of Jesus being overt about his suffering, they still don't get it. One of the big takeaways when I read the Gospels and I look at the lives of the disciples or even when I read the Old Testament and the story of the Kingdom of Israel is human beings are dense, thick, foolish people. And it takes a lot to break through our thick skulls and into our hard hearts. And there's example after example of God being patient and loving and caring and merciful and human beings struggling and struggling to understand. This is another moment in the Gospel of Mark of evidence of embarrassment. There's no reason to put this story in here if you're just trying to further the the testimony of the early church. And so again, as scholars say, just like we talked about in Mark chapter 2, in this passage, the disciples clearly being embarrassed and prideful and wrong in this story does not exist to further the plot. It exists because it's true and it exists because it's true to the character of human beings. We have hard hearts and thick skulls. One scholar writes, This narrative contains a bright mirror of human vanity, for it shows that proper and holy zeal is often accompanied by ambition. They who are not satisfied with himself alone, but seek this or the other thing apart from him and his promises, wander egregiously from the right path. We can be so close to Jesus and forget that the mission is to know Jesus himself as a living being. And when we see Jesus as a through way to something else, as a means to another end, whether that's power or victory or healing or wealth or influence, he fails to be the object of our worship. Jesus Christ is the object. And this is what Bartimaeus responds so correctly with by coming to Jesus in humility. The way to a privileged position in the kingdom of God is not by grabbing for power and demanding a seat at the table. What Jesus shows and teaches here is it requires humility and it requires self-sacrificing suffering. Jesus talks about drinking the cup of suffering. This is an Old Testament reference to choosing a pathway of God's wrath. In Psalm 
75 verse 8, in Isaiah 51 17, in Jeremiah 49 12, and in Ezekiel 23 31 through 34, running the gamut of, a, of hundreds of years, we see a tradition of picking up this cup and drinking God's wrath. And what Jesus says is, what I am going to do for you, you cannot do. I am going to drink the wrath of suffering for all of the people I have created. I am going to drink the consequences of every one of your sins and take it onto myself and humble myself to suffering and death on a cross. Can you humble yourself to that, James and John? Do you want that pathway of life? And in this suffering servant story, we see that while we may be blind and while Bartimaeus may be physically blind, the reason we are drawn to Jesus is that Jesus is the most seeing person to ever exist. Jesus has perfect eyesight and perfect vision, both physically and spiritually. Regularly, Jesus sees in the gospel stories people that no one else sees and recognizes them and calls them out. In the Good Samaritan story, he tells a story about one person who sees and recognizes the need of someone no one else did. With Zacchaeus, Jesus sees someone smaller in stature and far away from God's righteous living, and Jesus sees him and recognizes his need. A woman with the issue of blood, Jesus sees and feels her and recognizes. Blind Bartimaeus in this story, Jesus sees him even while others are shushing him and telling him to quiet down. He also sees the true heart of those around him. He sees the brokenness of our hearts. He sees the pride and envy and insecurity of our hearts. And he cuts through conversation after conversation to the heart of the people he's interacting with. Jesus Christ was and is in the deepest sense continually seeing. He is the only person to ever walk this earth without being blinded by his own sin. And this means every situation Jesus walks into, he's not blinded by his own insecurity and fear of what people might perceive or how they might view me. He's not blinded by his own shame and regret of decisions he's made in the past and how to cover them up or or work to reconcile them. Jesus Christ walks in without any guilt and shame, which means his eyes are set on others constantly and always and he sees their need and how to heal them. And even though he lives this righteous life with perfect vision, he comes to the end of his life, as we see, to receive not what he deserves, which is a crown, but what we deserve, which is a cross. And as he explains to his disciples at the end of this passage, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On the cross, Jesus allows himself to become blind for the only moment in his life as he takes on our sin and shame so that you and I as sinners can receive vision again and can see God's presence in our lives. He came to open the eyes of the blind, not by extortion, but by substitution by putting himself in our place. And so let's return back to this question that Jesus asks both John and James, and he asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do in your life? What do you want from me? 
Twice in this passage, he asks some version of this question. James and John, his faithful followers, his disciples who share life with Jesus and life they hope in the future, he asks them, what do you want from me? And they say, bless us. We want blessing. We want honor. We want power. Bartimaeus, a blind man, shouting out to Jesus for mercy, Jesus asks, what do you want from me? And Bartimaeus says, heal me. And a beautiful illustration in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus wrestles with his father in the garden. He wrestles with his impending suffering and death. And in that moment, Jesus asks the question of God the Father, what do you want of me? And God the Father responds, I want you to give your life as a ransom for others. And we see that God the Father calls Jesus to lay his life down so that we may be blessed and so that we may be healed. And so that all of us, by the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we may see this world and eternity as God has meant for us. I want to close this story with an exercise together. And I want you to, wherever you are, to kind of place yourself into a position meditative, a position of reflection. And I want you to take a moment and reflect on this question. What do you want from Jesus? What do you want from him? What do you hope to get out of watching sermons like this? What do you hope to get out of reading scriptures? What do you hope to get out of living the Christian life? Is it, as James and John see in this passage, a way to power and authority? Or is it, as we see in Bartimaeus, an experience and an encounter with Jesus? As we meditate in this moment, I'm going to read from you the Bartimaeus account again, slowly, and invite you to pray to experience this story as you yourself are Bartimaeus, blind and in need of healing, in need of a touch from Jesus. Mark 10, 46 through 52. And then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed them. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the other people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road.
as we spend this moment reflecting. Place ourselves into the position of the blind man, the blind woman, in need of an encounter with Jesus, in need of the mercy of Jesus. And may we come to him in an attitude of worship, saying, without you, Jesus, I have nothing. And I don't deserve to be in your presence. I haven't earned this and I couldn't possibly be good enough. But out of your goodness and love, will you show me mercy today and allow the Holy Spirit to humble our hearts and to find joy in the fact that a relationship with Jesus, a healing from Jesus, eternal life with Jesus is an act of mercy and grace and is a free gift from King Jesus, the suffering servant. If you're watching this right now and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want to, you want to know him, but you're not confident in your eternity or even the forgiveness of your sins, I wanna give you a chance just to humbly today take a step forward and receive the presence of God. If you'll pray this with me, Jesus, in this moment, we recognize our own undeserving nature. We recognize our own sin and shame. We need your character. We need your goodness. We need your grace in our life. Jesus, I believe you lived in this earth a perfect and righteous life as God and human together. I believe you went to a cross for my sin and my shame. You humbled yourself to death on a cross in my place. You were buried in the ground, and on the third day, you rose again, conquering death and sin and shame forever. You resurrected. And I trust that in you, Jesus, I will one day be resurrected and live forever in your presence by your grace. You gave your life for me. Today, I give my life to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time today, I just encourage you to click the link with this video. Let us know. We'd love to celebrate with you, walk this journey with you, and get to know you better in the process. Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church.